What's up, everybody? So this is a new segment. I'm going to do three weeks of it. I just think it will be fun to do. And I would love to get feedback to see where you're some of your biggest what ifs. Um, but we're going to do three weeks of what ifs. I'm doing air quotes. You can't see me doing air quotes. Um, and it's eight different ones. And I'll go into detail. And these will probably be uh, at the end of each episode. Or, yeah, what I'll do is the first weeks will be at the end of the episode. And then after that, we'll probably be at the beginning. Um, we'll see how it goes. We might be putting them. Who knows? But but I think it'll be easier going between. Either way, I'm recording it separately from the episode, so we'll see. But I just came up with this idea the other day when I was uh, working on something. I said, you know what? This would just be a cool, fun idea, fun thing to do. Um, just to talk about like what else and what what I think would have happened in these particular situations. So this is week one. I I currently only have two weeks written. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of the third week right now, but I figured why not um, record it and just see where it goes from there, you know. Um, but yeah, let's let's get started. So number one I have is what if Hulk Hogan does not go dark and Sting is a third man? So you see, this came from I'm currently listening to the audiobook of Guy Evans Nitro, the definitive uh, version of. The rise and fall of WCW, and he has numbers. Like I've been, to, I've been told about this this book for many, 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 many years, and <clears throat> I have Amazon Prime, and so someone said, "Hey, you can get two free audiobooks with Amazon Prime, and you can just cancel." Because I, I've had Audible. Before. You know, what? Here's, here's here's the thing about Audible, right? And a lot of times people don't know this. But, like, you can have the same account and get as many free as you want. It, it, what happens is it's, it, your free trial times out, but then it times you out of the system. I know this because I have gotten a free audio book from them many, many years ago. The Daniel Bryan book, the JTG book, um, another book I got from school. Because um, I didn't know, because it was like 80 bucks for the book. It's like I think it's To Kill a Mockingbird. And, like, to get the, the physical copy was, like, 80 bucks. So I just went on to see if it'll work, and it worked. And I just got two more free audiobooks. I haven't used the second one yet, um, but I did get Guy Evans' Nitro book. And I'm I'm thinking I'm only on Chapter 16, and this guy has numbers. It, it reminds me of the, of the, the scene in Coming to America where uh, the dude's talking to his daughter. He's like, baby, when I say he got money, he got his own money. And he slaps the money down. You see Eddie uh, Murphy's face on the on the bill. Like, this dude, had, I don't know how or what made all these people give this man access, Guy Evans, but he has quotes from DDP, Eric Bischoff, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, um, Turner Executives, uh, Dr. Harvey Schiller, like he he actually has these people. He actually interviewed these people, and they gave him numbers. Like when he's talk, for example, when he's talking about um, how National Hall was able to get their money is because one, they were smart, but two, they started saying, "Hey, this is what the WWE does. If you want to keep getting people from WWE, this is what you have to do." Because their marketing department, which I've heard National Hall say in interviews before, um, their marketing and their, their their merchandising department was non-existent. And so he says, hey, man, we make money off our toys. Like, that's, that's where a lot of our money comes from. And I remember there was a shoot interview where it was either Iron Sheik or Hacksaw Jim Duggan. One or two said in one year they made $500,000 off their action figures. That's not hard to believe at all. Uh, like, now, because so many collectors are out there, so that I don't know. I'm sure, it, like, because they have guaranteed money, I'm sure they get some residuals from that. But, like, 
I'm sure it's not as much as before, but that was a big deal, I'm sure. Well, this guy had such numbers that Guy Evans had such numbers. I keep saying this guy. Guy Evans had such numbers that he said in 1995, when you look at Booker T's sales of his action figures, he only got $2,000 from his action figures despite selling, I think it was like half a million action figures. Because it, because it was the, the merchandising department just didn't exist. That's not how they paid their talent. You know, uh, I, I, they were on guaranteed contracts way before WWE was on guaranteed contracts. So, like, I, this got me just to thinking, like, wow, this dude, I, I haven't even scratched the surface of this book. Like, legit, I have, like, 13 hours left of this, and I'm looking forward to it, you know? And the only reason it's even moving slow for me is just because things have just been extremely busy for me. And so, like, uh, when I get a chance to listen, I listen. But for the most part, it's just been so busy that whenever I'm able to, whenever, whenever I'm able to, um, to get into a chapter or two, I, I make sure I do it. But um, that's where this came from. And, it, it, and here's a story that's been told. So, essentially, we all know the story. Hogan was the third person. So, Hogan did say he wanted to be a third person, but he was unsure of it. Now, Kevin Sullivan, who was booking WCW at the time... And Eric Bischoff knew they needed to do something because Hogan was getting booed. I remember that ticker tape parade where Hogan's like, and all my Hulkamaniacs. Like, everyone's like, yeah, it's a smattering. I was like, yeah, it's a smattering of applause, right? Which is different from a pop. So he acts again. Yeah, it was the same. It was it was the same strip, right? And so according to Eric Bischoff, he had approached Sting and said, hey, do you mind being a third person? Sting said, no, I'm not really interested in that. That sounds like something that's not for me, you know. Um, but Sting was going to be the third person if Hogan did not agree to it, you know. But um, Hogan had to agree with it. And so if you look at all of Hogan's creative up until that point, because he had creative control, Hogan's cre- that was all Hogan's idea. Hogan, is a, Hogan has a terrible mind for the business. I don't care what anyone says. Because a lot of times when people, if you've, if you've noticed, when people say Hogan's cool, they don't say Hulk Hogan's cool. They say Terry Bollea is a cool person. They don't say anything about Hulk Hogan being cool. And so, which, at that point, you really want to play semantics, really fuck off, you know. But the point is, all that stuff was just an idea. The do, like, even though Kevin Sullivan was booking it, he was booking it to make Hulk Hogan comfortable, you know. And so, Hogan was like unsure even even before he got there. He was unsure. and But my thought is, like, what if Hogan didn't go dark? And he was going to fight off the big bad. Because he had creative control. So Sting is now the NWO. The NWO doesn't become a thing. It doesn't become as cool as it was. Because once, it wouldn't make no sense for Sting to do it. Because Sting didn't have a connection to Hall and Nash. And if anything, and DDP made a good point in the, in the, in the book... He said that he's actually pitching to be the third person. He said, I'm connected to both for more than anyone. And Eric Bischoff made a better point. Yeah, but no one knows you. And you're not even at this level right now. So it's one of those things where it, w- it wouldn't have made sense for DDP either. It would make no one, no, it wouldn't make no sense for anyone but Hulk Hogan. Because he came from up north. And so my first thought is, and it's as, it's as simple as this. There wouldn't have been an NWO. He would have squashed it. He wouldn't have lost Look at the landscape of WCW at that time. You had the giant, Paul White, as the WCW heavyweight champion. In his first match, he defeated Hogan for the title. It was a bunch of bullshit, but he did defeat Hogan for the championship. You had Ric Flair, who just won the United States championship earlier in that card. 
So Ric Flair's on in the mid-card status. Everyone's kind of worried about the, the status of the, of the WCW, all sorts of type of stuff. And Hogan would have been left out. There would have been nothing. It, it, essentially, Sting would have had to turn his back on Lex Luger and Macho Man Randy Savage. And at that point, if you're already booking Hulk Hogan to be as strong as... They had a match where him and Macho Man Randy Savage fought 12 people, not an exaggeration, in two cages. And they won the match. No, th- th- That's crazy. So now he's, he's just going to beat Hall of National Sting. So Hogan had to be a part of it. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been an NWO. So to me, that's as simple as it gets. There wouldn't have been an NWO. Number two, what if Taz, when he was the ECW champion, defended in a mega fight against Rob Van Dam in his historic run as a television champion? Context. Taz was built up when he came back and he was no longer the Tasmaniac or whatever he was. And he was that UFC fighter. He was built up to be a destroyer. People barely beat him and people barely took him off his feet. So he won the TV championship. He lost to Bam Bam Bigelow. That was a very rare loss for Taz. He won most of the time once he came back. He was built up very, very well. Meanwhile, you have RVD. Super cool guy being... um, uh, uh, managed by Bill Alfonso, on again, off again relationship with uh, Sabu, and you have him getting this TV championship, and he actually made the TV championship mean something. And actually, in many ways, once Taz left to WWE, the TV championship meant way more than the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. And that, and I mean, no disrespect to anyone else who had it afterwards, but after Taz lost. You know, you had Mike Awesome with it. Mike Awesome then bailed. Taz then got it back. Then Dreamer got it for a second. Then Just Incredible got it. It just didn't mean anything after that. If I'm being, if, if I'm being honest, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful because I love ECW. But the one thing we never saw, and RVD never lost a television championship. He actually like, broke his ankle or something. or He was, he was, he was going to be out for like three or four months, and he stripped him of it. Like, so RVD is like the, one of the greatest whatevs in ECW history because it was clear that was the next spot for him. He was gonna, he was about to be like a few months away from two years, and he was clearly going to get that. If ECW was survived, he was going to get that World Heavyweight Championship, which at that point in time, it, it just was corny. It, it made no sense. But what if there was a super fight between the two? Title for title. You have a former W, um, you have a former TV champion in Taz, but the current ECW champion in Taz, defending against Rob Van Dam, the longest reigning and probably the m- most important TV champion in that company's history, also the most popular guy in that company. I would assume RVD and him would put on a clinic, but I, I mean, excuse me, Taz and him would put on a clinic, but I think RVD would have lo- left the same when he left 2006 with two titles. I think he would have left with the WC, with the ECW World Championship and the Television Championship. Now, what happens afterwards? I don't think they would have ever beaten Rob Van Dam. I don't think he would have lost that title. I think he would have had to forfeit it because <clears throat> he would have had two titles and he wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been able to defend it. Um, so I, I, I don't think we, he would have ever truly lost that championship. Um, just, just, just because he made that title mean so much and. The matches he was having with Jerry Lynn at the time, and, um, it, it it just it just felt differently with him. It just really did.
So, number three. This was a tough one, but we're going to talk about it here. What if Chris Benoit doesn't murder his family? So, we know what he did. We don't want to relive those moments. But think about what that weekend was supposed to be. The draft had just happened, and Bobby Lashley got drafted to, I believe, Raw. And he was challenging for the WWE Championship against John Cena. So now the ECW Championship is vacated. There was a tournament held. And in the finals of the tournament was supposed to be Chris Benoit and CM Punk. Benoit would have won that match. because That's proof because they actually put John Morrison in that spot. And he beat CM Punk. But what happens if you don't? To me, it's deeper than wrestling. I'm not even, I, in this part, I'm not even going to talk about the wrestling aspect of it. Because I, I know some people say that if that doesn't happen, WWE doesn't go PG. I actually disagree with that. I truly believe they still go PG. It takes them a little while longer to go PG. But if you look at that time frame in 2007, it was, I believe. Yeah, 2007. If you look at that, look at what was going on at the time. Because a few months later, or two months later, if I'm not mistaken, you then had the steroid uh, suspensions, which led to Booker T leaving. Because everyone who got caught with... uh, steroids or a certain growth hormone were all suspended except for randy orton and booker t felt that was unfair and that's what actually led to him going to tna Rey mysterio um but he Rey mysterio actually had doctors prescribed um start steroid just to help with a knee injury of course it's neat it's his knees and uh he showed them documentation but he showed it to him too late and so they still suspended him and I want to say it was later on down the road, like a year later. But, but you know, that, I know he was frustrated by it, and that's why he ended up dropping the title to Dolph Ziggler. So I think that was maybe a year or two later. So I'll say two years later. But, like, this, is not, this has been a thing. So they, they really were popping down hard on steroids, popping down hard. Did not mean to say that. Uh, coming down hard on steroids. And um, so these things were already, already kind of in the works. And then they got that big deal, which they still have with Mattel. Mattel makes them a lot of money each year. Mattel, let me tell you something. There was someone, I don't know who, I, I've not seen his him come up with my recommendations on YouTube in a long, long time. But he did a history of WWE figures. And he did a great job of showing them. The, the growth that Mattel has had over the years is nothing short of impressive. Because when you look at some of the best WWE figures, doing air quotes again, you can't see me doing air quotes. There was barely any growth. The women always looked fucking awful. And when they dropped multiple figures of somebody, it was the same thing, just a different change, change of paint. Which you, some people would say is right now, but I feel like now, yes. There, at one point in time in the last couple of years, there was a ton of AJ Styles figures that were being produced. A ton of Roman Reigns figures being produced. And they've slowed down on those. Like You could tell like when they have their waves of people who are just selling them the most and then when that tapers off because how many AJ Styles do you need? You have four or five already and move on to someone else. Like if you think about Charlotte, Charlotte Fleur has barely been I've I've only seen one Charlotte Fleur figure in, in uh in stores. I got my Charlotte Fleur figure. I've only seen one Charlotte Fleur figure actually in stores. Usually people I think get them off of ringside collectibles. But that right there alone and and all the sponsorships they had which which made them the the nine billion dollar company that they are started happening at the time, and once WWE once one deal happened, then people were like, "Oh, we can work with them. They are willing to 
play within our rules, cool. Here's more money. So I think it was gonna be PG no matter what. It was gonna it was gonna come at it no matter what. The Benoit thing was such bad publicity that it just sped things up. But I, I would I would dare say within two the two to three years they would have slowly gone to PG. The reason why PG is so hated is because it happened so fast. You know? Like you think about the attitude era, the attitude era happened slowly. Started in ninety four with Kevin Nash getting or 95, 95, with Kevin Nash getting small package by Bret Hart, and then he loses the WWE Championship, and he gets up and says, fuck. You see, you verbally, you can see him say that. Then you see the middle finger from Kevin Nash to The Undertaker. Then you then, then you have Bret Hart cursing, and then you have Shawn Michaels and, and DX saying, suck it, and then you have the Nation of Domination, and all this other type of stuff, right? Not in that order, <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. It slowly built to the Attitude Era. The PG Era came just so fast. And he had the right guy for it, you know? He had John Cena to help carry that ship. But it would have still happened no matter what. Number four, Hulk Hogan. And this will be a Hulk Hogan heavy list this first week, just so you know. The second week has no Hulk Hogan in it. <laughs> uh, what if Hulk Hogan put over Bret Hart in 92 like, like the supposed plan was? So according to Bret Hart, <laughs> which is hilarious, I don't, I don't believe this. I think Bret Hart's a little delusional about this. According to Bret Hart, in 1992, at SummerSlam, Hulk Hogan was supposed to put him over for the WWE Championship in the Sharpshooter. Now let's look at 92 and what happened in 92. As we come into 1992, we have controversy over the WWE Championship where we have that legendary Royal Rumble. Where if WWE actually, because you know how UFC puts matches into their Hall of Fame? If WWE actually put matches into their Hall of Fame, this would be the first one on a lot of people's list. That legendary Royal Rumble of 1992 where Ric Flair went from number three to winning it all and winning the WWE Championship. Then he would drop all, drop it to Macho Man Savage at WrestleMania. And then Macho Man Savage would lose it back to Ric Flair a couple months later. And then in an untelevised match in Saskatoon, Ric Flair would put over Bret Hart in the sharpshooter. Um, and... And, and stuff like that. Um, and I, and I, believe, I believe in Saskatoon, it was like, I think in October he put him over. Yeah, because uh, they didn't even main event. It, Flair didn't even main, uh, main event SummerSlam. That was Bulldog and Bret Hart and Wembley. Ironically, we just had Wembley. Um, so if Hogan would have put Bret Hart over, you know what's you, you know what's actually funny? I think we would have heard Hogan. Like, if you think about the times where Hogan put people over it didn't actually hurt hogan in wwe it didn't hurt if you think about it it actually didn't hurt hogan ever which is why he, he should have lost more than what he did like to me when i look at someone who barely put anyone over and they barely lost and if they did they didn't lose clean was the undertaker I'm not saying he hurt people but like my point is like that's someone who you could say won way more than hogan right and barely lost but with hogan when he tapped out to Lex Luger on Nitro for the WWE Championship, didn't hurt him. Didn't hurt him at all. It's what people wanted to see, and he needed to see. You know, at the time, Bret Hart did need that. He did need someone to put him over for him to be the champion. But I don't think I don't think Bret Hart needed a. Um, I don't think Bret Hart needed a big name like Hogan to to, to solidify himself because he. 
was slowly building that groundswell himself. He was slowly building it, building it, and it was one of those situations where the the more you saw this type of thing as a fan, I think at the time the more you said, "Wait a second, this dude is is pretty damn good." Like, hmm, I, I think I think I need to watch him more. And I think more and more people start watching him and saying that to themselves and then saying, "Okay, I like this guy." And and it and oh shit. Sorry, guys. Um, sorry about that, guys. Um, so I think the way it happened for him was supposed to happen that way. If that makes any sense, like it, it just—it's one of those situations where I, I feel like it was just like, okay, cool. We need. Um, it wasn't the the the, the cosine um, wasn't as big. You know what I'm saying? Like it just wasn't as needed and um i don't think it did anything for him and now him being i think if anything would have made him turn heel you know brett you know because i think hogan would have overdone it like Shawn michaels did in 2005 SummerSlam. i think hogan would have overdone it and made and and and, and got more sympathy than uh that he should have you know what i'm saying so um that's that's my take on that I just don't think it would have worked out the way Brett thinks it would have worked out. Brett takes himself very seriously, and I think Brett was thinking, well, if he takes the finish, that means I'm over even more. Ironically, it's something that Brett never wanted to do for some for certain people. Um, I just don't think that finish would have done for Brett what he thinks it would have done. You, you, you know what I'm saying? I just and when I wrote this one down. My first thought was like, this is this is a, this is actually a tough one, you know, because I just don't, uh, I just don't think that it would have helped him as much as he thinks. Anyways, number five, what if Hulk Hogan, told you it was Hulk Hogan heavy, and Brett, excuse me, I'm Brett, and Ric Flair faced off in WWE in 1992. So according to legend, the reason why there was no match between Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 92. Is because there was a couple of house show matches between the two that are taped. And they didn't do the numbers that WWE thought they would do. No one was really excited for it. Now, you could you could see that there's some validity to that. You know why? Because Hogan wasn't the same person. People were booing Hogan at that time. People people truly did were, were, were turning on Hogan at that time. So it wasn't that much of a surprise that they didn't do the numbers that they thought they did. And also, Ric Flair, for as much as he was built up, he was he was still an NWA WCW star. He he wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't the WWE guy. So you need to build him up a little bit more, you know? So for me, I, I believe that I do believe there's some truth to that. I, I really do. Um, however, um, I think... If they would have did the match in WWE, then WCW's because uh, they at the first time Flair and Hogan faced off on pay per view was at Great American Bash in '94 or '95. I believe it was '95. They did they they did they did numbers. They did, they did, they, did, they did numbers, you know. And Flair was the world champion, and Flair actually had to turn heel because Flair was actually a babyface um, at the time. He had to turn heel in order to work with Hogan. And have him become WCW champion. And um, 
I don't think they would, uh, I don't think they would have done the numbers that they would have done in WCW. So it was meant to happen in, in WCW. Because if they were done at WrestleMania, every, everyone's seen it now. Everyone know, or if you haven't seen it, you knew what happened. And also, it depends on what the f- finish of that match would have been. I could only imagine Hogan would have had to pose, right? So I don't think it would have been anything special. Number six, what if Bret Hart and Hulk Hogan did not have creative control in their cl- clauses in their contracts? So let's make this clear. Hogan had creative control in his contract for all finishes and just in general. Bret Hart had, in 97, in the last three months of his contract, he had reasonable, air quotes again, creative control. I don't even know what that means, to say reasonable creative control. That, that sounds weird to me. But that was a thing. So here's, so here's my thinking. I believe, let's start with Bret Hart. I believe if he didn't have that reasonable creative control, he would have had no choice but to drop the championship at Survivor Series like he would have been asked to do to Shawn Michaels. There would have been no conversation. He would have just had to drop the title. And would he have been better leaving? Yes. But we wouldn't be talking about the Montreal screw job many, 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 many years later. Um, and I, I, I do think, and it, it's not like WCW took advantage of it, um, but it's one it's one of those things that um, it, 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 would, it would make his exit. As far as Hulk Hogan goes, we do not get the debacle that is the main event of Starcade '97. We do not get um, Bash at the Beach '2000, another debacle, and we also. Do not get all these, and once again, it depends on who you talk to. Because you talk to, um, if you talk to Eric Bischoff, Hogan never uses creative contract uh, control. If you talk to Hogan, he never used his creative control. You know, it, if, it, so it depends on who you talk to. But I do think it would have been a lot, it would been a lot more uh, level playing field, and I don't think we would have had. A lot of the stars that left for WWE leave for WWE. I really don't think so. I think they would have stayed because it would have been a little bit more level. Now, some of them were still left because they just were in a certain spot. Like Jericho, I I think Jericho would have just left. I really do. But I just don't think other people would have left. Number seven, there's no more Hogan. What if Magnum TA would have won the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship? This is one of the biggest what ifs, if not the biggest what if in wrestling history, in MWA history at least. Magnum TA was on the, on the rise. And he had matches against Tully Blanchard, Arn Anderson. He, had, he was a former TV champion, United States champion. He was doing it all. And it was... Um, pretty pretty dope. It was, and he was next up. He had meetings with the NWA board about him winning the championship and him owning it. And he legitimately was on his way to being that person. And then he got into a motorcycle accident. If you've seen Dark Side of the Ring, you know his story. I think if he, because Ric Flair was going to put him over. I think if he... Wins that NWA World's Championship, I think it changes the trajectory because then he would have been in the mix for life. I think he would have been in in the mix 
for where Barry Windham was. I don't know if you get Alex Luger in the mix. He, he might have because he was big. He was pretty big. But I don't think a lot of the people who were able to be in the mix and get and become WCW heavyweight champion would actually. Do. I don't. I mean, Steve Vicious was big enough, so he might he might have gotten it. Uh, and, and but I don't think you give a lot of people those championship matches because that there's so few and far between that I think he would have been in the mix for life and I think he would have been an NWA lifer. But I also think he could have been one of those guys that could have been a great foil as he aged with the NW with the NWO coming up. I think he could have been a great foil along with Sting and and and, and WCW. I don't think he would have been one of those guys that joined the NWA. Like when I think long term about him, you know what I'm saying? And number eight, what if Nash did not end Goldberg's streak? This one right here is very, very interesting to me. So, I don't think it would have been as satisfying as people think it was. I think the reason why it's, it's, it's such, that is, that's, that's such, um, it's, it's a bad taste in people's mouths is because of how Nash lost it to Hogan. And how Hogan, um... Uh, the finger poke, poke, the finger poke of doom. And I think that's why that title loss is such is is in such a um, a bad taste in people's mouths. Because if you actually look at that match, it wasn't anything special. It was all right, but that crowd was hot, and that crowd cheered when Nash jackknifed him. And there, and his thing, his thing that Goldberg never talks about, right? But a number of people have. They were piping in Goldberg, Goldberg, because eventually, once you get to that point in the streak, you don't know what to do, like because you have to lose it eventually. And was it satisfying when Oscar tapped out to Charlotte Flair at WrestleMania 34? I think it was. No, it was pretty fucking weird, actually. You know, um, was it satisfying? Probably not to most people. I'm, I was never a Goldberg fan, but. I think the only way to end that streak would be for someone of that caliber at that time to do it. And did it elevate Nash? No. Should it, should it be someone that is going to elevate? Sure. Maybe DDP. Because that, that was the best match Goldberg ever had was with Diamond Dallas Page. You know? But, you know, it, 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 but that's long-term booking. And the fact that they were planning on... Bring, here, was the, here was what everyone has said, except for Goldberg. And Goldberg said he didn't actually like it. So essentially what them doing was putting back the NWL and they were going to have Goldberg run through every member of NWL until he got back to Hogan and defeated Hogan for the title. That, that sounds like what they did with Hogan, right? And Hogan already lost to him once. As a matter of fact, Hogan made the call to defend the title against him on national television. So it wasn't like he would have been against him losing the title. You know, um, I do think we don't get a finger poke of doom, obviously, but I also don't think it's still a, a satisfying conclusion. I really don't. I don't think anyone that would have beat him would have been, would have been unless it was that Halloween Havoc night where him and DDP had that match that no one saw because uh, WCW went too long and the pay-per-view uh, subscriber cut the feed off. Then I, I, I just don't. I think people were ready to see it at the time because DDP was just hot, and I think people were just ready to see it at that time. But I don't think there would have been a, a natural conclusion to it now. I do think, I think the finger poke of doom was essential to wrestling just to show what happens when the inmates run the asylum. And even if the the plan would have come to fruition, how it happened was just not good. 
So that's my final take on that. I don't think it would have been. Uh, I, I don't think it would have been satisfying either way. So that is my first week of what ifs. Um, I went a little long here, but tell me what you guys think. Tell me if you guys agree, disagree. Why? I would love to. I would like to know because I think this could be a fun little thing that we can just do a bunch of what ifs on. So. That's week number one. So I am the slow chemical. This is I see things a little differently. I'm out. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. I see things a little differently. I am the slow chemical, and we're gonna do something different this week. So the first part of this, I actually well, excuse me, let me let me rewind. The second part of this episode was something I actually had planned out um, for like maybe a week or two, and then all the CM Punk stuff happened, and just had to address it, just had to talk about it, and that's okay because it gives more content to it. And even though we don't have closure on the situation, because um, there's way more to come, I feel like, is at least one of those things where um, it just, maybe maybe we can move forward, you know? Um, my final, final, final thoughts on this part of this situation is, Mark Henry said something very interesting on Busted Open Radio. He said, now the supposed problem is gone, I want to see what happens now. I couldn't agree with him more. Now there's no more reason for rumors to get out. Now there's no more reason for hatred. Now there's no more brand split. Brian Danielson, one of the most loved, beloved people in the wrestling business, in the history of the wrestling business, is going to be one of the major focuses on that show, which I would have to assume means the Blackpool Combat Club will be doing both shows, which I'm sure they're loving that. Um, <laughs> so... We'll see where that goes. Um, but I want to focus and talk about this idea I had. So the second part of this episode will be what if. And I want to talk about just some what ifs. I want to do three weeks of it and see what you guys feel from it. Right? And I'll let the second part kind of speak for itself. You guys will hear the DJ scratch and then all of a sudden you guys will have that part of it. But I want to focus on the first part of this episode to focus on the Intercontinental Championship as I'm recording this it's Monday night after the Raw where Gunther and Chad Gable laid it all on the line even with the uh, 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 hell of a match even though it was a TV match and we didn't really see all of it because of the picture on picture and stuff like that they laid a lot of it on the line and now he will surpass the Honky Tonk Man as the longest reigning Intercontinental Champion of all time I mean, I know Honky Tonka said he's the greatest. That's not a thing. But he was the longest reigning. And now Gunther will surpass that. And it's been many, 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 many moons since this has happened. I don't even think... Shoot. There's a lot of people who've had long tower reigns, but I don't know if anyone's ever come close to threatening it like this. And then dethroning it, obviously. But I want to do a history of what few stats we have. Not few, but stats I found to be more interesting... Um, 
of things that have happened since Honky Tonk Man set the record. So we obviously know. Let's let's start with Honky Tonk Man before we move on. So depending on who you ask, I think it was either Honky Tonk or Hogan. I think they both had the same story, but other people said different things. But essentially, after WrestleMania three, after the classic with Ricky Steamboat and Macho Man Savage, now Steamboat's expected to hit the road, and it was causing some friction with his wife at the time, and she wanted him off the road, which is kind of weird because she wasn't from from everything that it sounds like. Sounds like she was a stay-at-home wife, and she wanted more help. Um, but at that time, they were on the road 300 days a year, and so it was causing some rifts in the in this in the situation, and so. Um, what ended up happening was I'm cut my TV off, so if you hear noise, that's the noise you hear. Um, uh, rest with his family, so he forfeited the Intercontinental title. So that's why he lost it to Honky Tonk Man. So according to stories, legend, uh, Honky Tonk Man was just there was no they didn't know who to drop it to, and Honky Tonk Man was just in the locker room, and Hogan looked over and said, "Hey, just drop it to that guy," you know, and that started him off with his one and only championship running in WWE. Um, he won it and he kept it by hook and by crook. And then one day, SummerSlam, he, he says, send anyone out here, I'll beat him. And all of a sudden you have the ultimate warrior who's on the rise, comes out, beats him in like, I think 40, 50 seconds, something ridiculous like that. And dethrones him just like that. And after that, Honky Talk Man was soon out of the Federation. Um, but since then, we have so many things to talk about here that I... I did my research, and since then, the records that have happened since he set that one all-time record, obviously, we you know, WCW has died, the NWA is back up and running, uh, AEW is alive, ECW is dead, TNA has happened, we know all these things, but as far as the Intercontinental Championship reigns go, check this out. Chris Jericho has the most reigns by far with nine. The Miz is right behind him with eight. I would have to assume at some point in time they're going to have Miz break that with two more. I can assume. I can just see that because WWE is very petty. Um, but right now, Jericho has the most all-time reigns for the Intercontinental Championship. China is still the one and only woman to win the title. She's had two reigns with that title. And I think it's best to be kept that way, honestly. 83 different men. Excuse me. A two different men, one woman, have held the title since. That's a lot of people. And I didn't think it would be that much, but I counted, I triple counted. And you think about it, a lot of that came in the Attitude Era, and a lot of that came in the Attitude Era and the Ruthless Aggression Era. Um, but for the most part, once you get to the 2010s, it's really up and it's between, it's, it's between Dolph Ziggler, <laughs> Kofi Kingston, um, uh, who else? You got Cody Rhodes in that. You have Bad News Barrett in that. You have Biggie in that. It's 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 between the same like fifteen people <laughs> essentially. Um, Miz is in there obviously, but it slows down quite a bit once you get into the PG era. It has main events at one WrestleMania, and that was the Ultimate Battle between Hogan and Warrior for both titles, uh, which was WrestleMania six. And that is the one time it may have been to the WrestleMania. That's that's forgotten because um, it just it's one of those things where that match was something different at the time. And I think people f- sometimes forget that even though Hogan gave the endorsement to Warrior, 
with the WWE Championship, at the end of that, you see Warrior holding up both titles. And I think, wasn't it like a yellow strap the Intercontinental Championship was on? It was like a yellow strap it was on, I think. But it's a main event at one WrestleMania. Razor Ramon, in my opinion, he is the greatest Intercontinental Champion because when you had someone at his caliber and he, even though he's never won a world championship, he's one of those guys that he made the Intercontinental Championship feel special. And he made it a priority. And I'm saying that, that that's my opinion, but this is these are facts. He's the first ever four-time Intercontinental Champion. That's what I'm saying. Like When I think of the 90s, the mid-90s specifically, I think of the Intercontinental title, but I think of Razor Ramon. Because he just seemed to always be around that belt. He seemed to always be... Um, in contention for or whatever i know he had a wwe championship match against bret hart but he was always around that title even until his last few months in the company he had the title until wrestle um excuse me until um uh, the royal rumble 96 where he lost to the gold dust thanks to one two three kid and then he left the company three months or two months later so he had the belt up until he left <laughs> if you think about it um but to me i think he is the greatest because i think it with him it meant something and it was very important. And even though Jericho has nine reigns, it just was different. Because we already saw Jericho. Uh, even though Jericho has nine reigns, Jericho has been a world champion. And Scott Hall, who was always in the main event scene, you've seen it as like him lifting that title up, if that makes sense. You know? Ahmed Johnson, what's the name there? Was the first black intercontinental champion. And if you think about it, it's funny. They went so many years without having one. And then Ahmed Johnson, after he vacated it in the tournament, it was Mark Merrill who made him the second black guy to have the Intercontinental title. But Ahmed Johnson's the first. He defeated Goldust in 96, King of the Ring, for the title. The Intercontinental title has been vacated 11 times. That's actually not a lot. Vacated has a lot of title reigns. But I'm surprised when I, when I counted that. I said, damn, only 11 times the title's been vacated? I I was truly surprised to see only 11 times. It's been unified one time. And then it brought, was brought back months later. Um, it was Triple H when he was the World Heavyweight Champion. Defending against Kane when he was the Intercontinental Champion. And they had a match and Kane lost. And that made Triple H at that time the last Intercontinental Champion. And then they brought back a few months later... I still, to this day, I, I tried looking this up. I actually don't know why they did that. Um, maybe, I, th I think at the time, I'm, I, and I, I was trying to find more research on this. I remember vividly at the time, there was something about they felt there was too many championships. But they had vacated, but excuse me, they had unified the World Heavyweight title. And Raw at that point just had the World Heavyweight title as a singles title. The U.S. title was on SmackDown. Because this was the beginning of the, the the brand split. So, like, there was nothing to fight for. And at that time, it was Triple H dominating everything. And then they brought back in the Battle Royal that uh, Christian won. And then Christian ended up losing to Booker T. But I that that's what I remember being the story at the time. Um, and that's the story I read again. So, I assume it must be true or have some truth to it, you know. Um, but, yeah, that's what essentially what it was. They felt it was too many titles. And this was straight off the invasion. This was straight when they were trying to just... Me not even making excuses for the company. Me just seeing how 
you had all these different towel changes. You had the invasion angle. Then you get into 2002. And 2002 was more of a... I said this, I said this a few weeks ago on the show. I said 2005 for me was kind of a weird year. I tend to forget about the history of it because it just didn't intrigue me much in, a, in WWE. Excuse me. And I think at that point in time, I was watching both Impact and, and TNA and uh, WWE. But I felt like TNA just that did more for me at that time. Um, as opposed to WWE, there was, there was great matches in WWE, but it just didn't hit me the same. Um, 2006 was for me was a resurgence for them. I loved I loved 2006. I can tell you about matches, pay per views, everything like that. I'm surprised I'm actually I actually haven't picked off more from 2006 for like matches of the month and stuff like that. But I definitely love 2006. Um, but um, that's 2006. Excuse me, uh, 2002. But I love 2002. Um, I think it's because they were able to get refocused on themselves. And um, I, I, I love 2006, too, for the record. But um, 2002, I love 2002. I, it's that great triple threat match between The Undertaker, Rock, and all, uh, Angle for the WWE Championship. You had that brutal Hell in a Cell with The Undertaker and Brock Lesnar. You had a chair shot from uh, Matt Hardy to Brock Lesnar, Brock Lesnar's debut. You had Rock versus Hogan at WrestleMania 18. You, you had... Uh, Essentially, RVD coming into his own as a mid-carder. Jericho coming into his own as a mid-carder. Kind of, excuse me, as a top face, I mean, heel. Um, you had so many things happening at that time. Um, but at that, at that time, I, I don't... That's, that's why I don't quite get it. Because once they did the brand split, they didn't do that with the U.S. title. They never did that with the United States Championship. It stayed on SmackDown. It was very prevalent. You know? And, I, and you know what? I think creatively, they probably just didn't know where to go with it anymore. They haven't passed around like the neighborhood bicycle at that point. Like maybe they just didn't know. At that point, maybe they, they just didn't know what to do with it. That's very possible too, you know. Um, so that's what it is. But either way, um, Meltzer has given two five-star matches to IC title matches. One is what you can probably guess: the ladder match, WrestleMania 10, Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon, and the other was from this year, WrestleMania 39. Night two or night one, excuse me. Gunther, Drew Mac, Drew McIntyre, and Sheamus. Those are the only two five star matches that the Intercontinental Title has ever had, which I think some people would disagree with because considering that it main evented SummerSlam, you know, uh, ninety two, that might be a problem. Um, I don't know how accurate this is. I tried to do my best research. It seems like it's a little bit off though. So when I the research I did, it says the Intercontinental Title is main evented. Four different times. But I just named SummerSlam 92, which was not on this. And what, this wasn't Wikipedia I got from a guy from a WrestleTix, not a wrestling website. So, but SummerSlam 92 wasn't on there, but Beware of Dog was on there. And I don't remember Beware of Dog. Beware of Dog was when, Shawn, when the lights went off and Shawn Michaels and Bulldog wrestled in the dark. So I don't think that's where it was. But the times that I can remember and verify for sure, 100% for sure, was SummerSlam 1992. WrestleMania 6, Extreme Rules 2018. Extreme Rules 2018, for those of you guys who don't remember, was when Dolph Ziggler put his career on the line versus The Miz. Was it 2016? I think it was 2016, excuse me. Dolph Ziggler put his career on the line against The Miz, and it was a hell of a match. And if you guys remember, the reason why that even main evented, this was 2018. One or two. The reason why it main evented is because there was a presidential debate on. 
and this was Threat Focus 2018. And <laughs> it was a presidential debate that was coming on that was slated to be on right as the main event hit, right? So they wanted people to see the main event of AJ Styles, Dean Ambrose, and someone else. It was a triple threat match. I remember for the WWE Championship, uh, AJ Styles had just won the championship the month prior from Dean Ambrose. And so they legitimately did. They wanted people to. It was John Cena was in it too. They didn't want people to miss out on that, so they made that the first match on the card, and then they made that the main event. But it should have been the main event either way because that was the story they were telling was Ziggler would come so close and some close so co and so close. Excuse me, and he couldn't beat the Miss. And so this was everything. Uh, Dolph Ziggler's boot came off, super kick. It, it was uh, it's one of Dolph Ziggler's many highlights in his career. This will be one of them. And it was a main event. So those are just some 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 fun facts I thought would be cool just to throw in here and have this show. Um, and it would be something different just, just to switch it up. And, um, because we've, you know, had a bunch of reviews happening. It's kind of like changing things up on the show sometimes. Just You guys know how I like to do it. So next up will be our first episode or first segment of What If. Tell me what you guys think about it. Like I said, I got two more weeks of it. I'm going to put them in. Um, next week we'll probably get back to, you know, reviewing shit, just doing things the normal way. But I wanted to get this out and check this out and tell me what you guys think about this. So I'm a slow chemical. Check out the next part. Whatever.